0: Um, my name is Joshua Guerrero, if you, uh, if you didn't know. And if you don't know me, I serve on the worship team here amongst a couple of other places. And every once in a while, I have the honor of uh, coming up and chatting with you guys. And it is, uh, it is an honor, uh, honor that Pastor Peter actually gives me. So a, hand of a, a round of applause for him, if anybody. All right, there we go. There it is. And uh, Peter, if I could just talk on Peter for a second. Peter's a mentor to me. He's a friend to me. He's a brother to me. Um, and if I could just speak on him, he loves us here. He loves the congregation to this church. He desires for us to grow in Jesus, to grow in reaching others for Jesus, and to grow in our knowledge of the word of God, and that's a lot to say about a pastor. That's something you can't say about all pastors, in fact, but we can say it about our pastor, and um, that's why I love this sermon series so much. The Trinity, Um, it's a mystery. The Trinity is a mystery of God. It's one that the, uh, the Bible teaches uh, very evidently, but one that we as humans have a hard time understanding and fully grasping. Um, it, it, the Trinity is one God eternally existing in three different persons, and that's hard for us to understand. One of the ways I found myself not quite processing it right is uh, my primano, Jonathan. Raise your hand real quick. That's him right there. Um, he actually came to worship rehearsal on Thursday. Uh, and when he came, uh, someone said, Man, it's so weird because he has the same mannerisms as you and he talks the same as you, but when I look at him, he looks nothing like you. And I went home and I thought about it. I was like, Yeah, because he's not me. Not in an arrogant way, right? Not, but he could be better than me. What I'm getting at is that we have. Um, specific characteristics that bring us together that make us similar, but we're not one. We're distinct. We're different. And even though we're distinct and different, we have similarities and things that we share in common. Uh, that's not the Trinity. That's not the Trinity. The Trinity is three distinct individuals that are one. It's one God eternally existed in these three different persons. And that's hard to understand. And that's why a lot of people try to, to develop uh analogies that represent the Trinity, to help us understand it. One of the most common ones that I hear is water, right? Water, uh, it, you have H2O, and you can see it in vapor, you can see it in ice, and you can see it in liquid water. And so the, the, the concept is like, oh, well, that's like the Trinity, but, it, but it's not. You see, that would be like saying that water is God, and he shows himself in vapor and in water and in ice, but that's, that's not the Trinity, Because water and vapor and ice, they don't perfectly relate to each other eternally. Eternally. And the Trinity is three distinct persons, one as one God that relate to each other perfectly for eternity. It would be like saying that water, vapor, and ice would have to be within two inches of each other and forever stay the same eternally. Forever. And that just doesn't happen. If I put ice in the microwave, it turns into water. If I leave it there long enough, it turns into vapor. They can't all be one at one time. But that's the mystery of the Trinity. It's when we have to approach with faith. And today we're talking about the Holy Spirit, the final but not least uh, member of the Trinity. And this is near and dear to my heart. Um, I was raised in a Pentecostal home. So if you don't know what that is, it just means we really, really like the Holy Spirit. We're just head over heels for the Holy Spirit. Um, and many individuals that I grew up with, they had experiences with the Holy Spirit. They encountered him regularly. And although my dad, which he's here, and I, the whole row of family is here, so I'm very pleased and happy to have you guys here. Um, my dad was a good representation of balancing a Christian life in many other men that I saw Uh, That alongside their pursuit of the Holy Spirit, there was a lack of reverence for and subjection to God's word, the Bible. And that bugged me, that aided me as I grew up. And by the grace of God, one day I picked up a book by a guy whose last name is Piper. And that book led to another book and another book. And a few books later, by the grace of God, I was able to absorb some wisdom from godly men. That honor the word of God with their hearts and their minds. Right. But in this reverence, some of those men, not all of them, but some of them, uh, began to neglect, forget, and, and I would say even belittle the person of the Holy Spirit as God. And it seemed like their Trinity became the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible instead of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And although their hearts were in the right place, I promise you, their hearts are in the right place, every single one that I read, we can never replace God with our doctrine or our theology. And that's exactly what we do. That's exactly who God is that's exactly who the Holy Spirit is. He's God. R.T. Kendall, the author of Holy Fire, he says it like this, if we could put it up on the, on the screen. The Holy Spirit, if we can't, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Uh, and you can listen on. The Holy Spirit is God. Every bit as much as Jesus being God or the Father being God. That said, never underestimate or take for granted the deity of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in you is God in you. You can worship the Holy Spirit. You can pray to the Holy Spirit. You can sing to the Holy Spirit. My desire today in us talking is that we would learn a bit more about the Holy Spirit, about his work and how he desires to relate to us, and that we would open our hearts. Our hearts would be softened to him, that he would be endearing to us. This would help us realize that he loves us as another person in our good, good father, God, that, that, that loves us. And he is sent to us as our advantage. And hopefully that would leave us open to what he may desire to do in us today. Um, we're going to go to the Bible uh, in John chapter 16, John chapter 16 We're going to start in verse 4. We're going to read uh, through 15. That is up on the board. So if you want to read with me, you can read up there. I'm going to go ahead and start, though. Um, But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, your sorrow fills your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because I go to the father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. If you would pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Um, We ask that you would open our hearts and minds during this time. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Um, your work and, and your movement is welcome here on our hearts, God. Let us be open and um, sensitive to you. We love you. We thank you. And we place this time in your hands. Amen. So uh, John, this portion of the Bible that we're talking about, it's John chapter 16. This is Jesus talking. And um He's talking about his departure. This is near the end of his life and the end of his earthly ministry. And he's talking to the disciples. The disciples had spent the past three years following Jesus. They had spent the past three years getting to know him better. In the same way that I mentioned the worship team earlier, kind of comparing me and and my cousin, that's because they've spent twice a week with me for the past three years. So they were able to know me a little bit better. These guys spent every day with Jesus for the past three years. And they were finally getting to know his mannerisms, what he was like. And just as they're getting to know him better, he's like, guys, I'm I'm leaving. This is going to leave them a little bit shocked. But Christ emphasized that it's to their advantage that he leaves them. It's to their advantage that he leaves them because he is sending the helper. Now, to clarify real quick, there is it's not like they couldn't be in the same place at the same time. But Christ knew that the way God had designed time and eternity, he knew that Christ would need to go uh, ascend into heaven and then the, Spirit, the Holy Spirit would come. And that's what is uh, the description of the helper. That's who God is referring to, who Jesus is referring to, is the Holy Spirit. And that's a bit of a broad word, It's a bit of a broad word, so we're going to kind of break that down a little bit. And it's broad because the Greek word for helper here is not really able to be translated to just one English word. Uh, The word is parakletos, and what that literally means is for one to come alongside of you. You see, they, the disciples, had been walking with Jesus alongside of him for the past three years. When someone was sick, they saw Jesus heal them. When someone was mourning, they saw Jesus console and comfort them. When Pharisees or Sadducees sprang up and started arguing with Jesus, they got to see Jesus flex his divine muscle, right, and, and, and kind of shut him down. That, they were already comfortable with that. And now all of a sudden, this, this hero that they've been with for three years, he's, he's leaving. But he says, man, but, but, but I'm sending someone to come alongside of you in my bodily absence to come alongside for their sake, for the disciples' sake, but also for the sake of God's own glory. This uh, this should be a slide, uh, but the Holy Spirit works both inside us and alongside the other members of the Trinity to glorify Jesus. And that's to our benefit. If I would add that, I would say the Holy Spirit works both inside us and alongside the other members of the Trinity to glorify Jesus for our benefit. Now, this is where I want to dig in to John and and bring out four points about the Holy Spirit's work, four points about how he works around us and in us. This is important to know because we need to better understand why Jesus would look at his disciples and in turn, look at us and say, it's to your advantage that I would go and he would come. come that kind of breaks the notion of people that go, man, I just wish I was alive in Galilee, you know, 2000 years ago so that I could be with Jesus. When Jesus is going now, man, you're in a better spot. Wow. You're in a better place now because I, it's to your advantage that I go and he come." So we're going to talk about four points of of the Spirit's work. And the first one I want to bring up is the Spirit comes to empower the church. The Spirit comes to empower the church. In Acts uh, 1, 6 through 8, can we bring that up? In Acts 1, 6 through 8, uh, it says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Okay, now the word I really want to kind of zone in on for us here is in verse 8, power. That word power is a bit twofolded. okay? It's a bit twofolded. folded When we look at the disciples, they're saying, hey, God, uh, Jesus, wh- I, I mean, you are resurrected from the dead. You've shown your power. Are you going to, like, you know, overthrow the Roman occupation now and, and establish the kingdom of Israel? They were still thinking that Jesus was going to kind of start some Israeli revolution against Rome. That was their idea of power. They honestly still, even though Christ had died, resurrected, they didn't get what his purpose on the cross actually was. It wasn't until the Holy Spirit fell on them in the upper room that they understood the work of Christ on the cross. In one instance, Peter is here saying, guys, um, with the disciples saying, Jesus, are you going to establish uh, the kingdom of Israel? And as soon as the Holy Spirit falls on Peter, he jumps out and says, guys, this Christ that you crucified, he died for your sins. Repent and come to salvation like that. Like that, when the Holy Spirit fell on him. Romans 1.16 says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That the gospel, the fact that Jesus came, lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died, resurrected from the dead and now offers us forgiveness of sins to be reconciled back to God. That is the power of God unto salvation. So the power they received when the Holy Spirit fell upon them was one that the power of God, it was the power of God unto salvation through their understanding and their acceptance of the gospel. But there's more, it's twofolded. God also empowers through the Holy Spirit to bear witness to the gospel, to bear witness to the gospel. Now, this isn't a slide, but in Hebrews 2, 3 through 4, I'm going to go ahead and read it. And if you just listen on, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard. So the Lord is Jesus, those who heard being the disciples. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. According to his will. The Holy Spirit is what empowers us to testify about Jesus and walk through life honoring God. But I'm not going to sugarcoat that the Springs also believes he empowers us to display the gospel in power not just in life, but in power. That's why we believe that the Holy Spirit still gives gifts like prophecy and words of wisdom and healing and tongues, not just so that they can be the the ends to which the Spirit is giving them to us, but they're with us and he gives them so that we can bear witness to the gospel. They're given so that God can give and show off his muscle through us, through a gift of the Holy Spirit, and say, look at how incredible this is. Now draw your attention to the gospel. So we are to bear witness through power from the gospel, to the gospel from the Holy Spirit. Adam Mabry is a leader in the, uh, the Every Nation Movement. Really smart guy. And um, he says it like this in his book, Church Forward. He says, it is the express Job of the Holy Spirit to advance the mission of the church. He calls us into task, equips us, helps us overcome our flesh and selfishness, and pushes us forward. Guys, the church needs, we need the Holy Spirit to empower us to witness the gospel, to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. The second point about the Spirit's work And we're going back to John 16 here, is that the Spirit comes to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's in John 16, 8 through 11, from what we read. Now, this is where we begin to see the Holy Spirit's intimate work in in our hearts, in our lives. I don't want to break this down one by one. I kind of want to, because, you know, there's sin, righteousness, and judgment. We'll break down one by one. I'm going to use my life as a reference point, because if there's anything worth convicting probably in my life. So um, sin, we'll start with sin. Um, I grew up in a Pentecostal home, like I mentioned earlier, and I consistently heard about the world's sin, the world's separation from God, the world's need for life. My dad was super faithful in his preaching of the gospel, so I grew up hearing that all the time. Boom, 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 boom. All the time, the sin of the world. Well, the curious and funny part was that even though I heard that, I never stopped to recognize my sin, my separation from God, my need for life. I never stopped to consider those things. I may have heard them. I may have sat in a church service for 20 years, but I never really understood my own need for life. I needed the Holy Spirit to show me my sin. I needed him to show it to me. D.A. Carson, brilliant man, Uh, one of my absolute heroes, old white guy, yay tall, brilliant guy though. He says it like this. He convicts the world of its sin because the people who constitute the world do not believe in Jesus. If they did believe in Jesus, they would believe his statements about their guilt and turn to him. Guys, I sat in a church for 20 years and I never believed in Jesus. Because if I did, I would have believed his statements about my guilt and turned to him. As it is, their unbelief brings not only condemnation, but willful ignorance of their need. The world's unbelief not only ensures that it will not receive life, it ensures that it cannot perceive that it walks in death and needs life. I don't even know that I need life. We need the Holy Spirit to come and convict us of sin and make us aware that we need a savior. The second thing that he convicts us of is righteousness. Righteousness. In John 3, 19 through 21, the Bible says, the light, Jesus, he comes into the world. And that some did not love Jesus because they were in darkness and their deeds were done in darkness and Jesus light, it exposed their darkness and their deeds, which were evil. In my life, I was so able and ready to say, man, but I'm a lot better than that guy. I'm significantly better than that girl. I thought that I could ascribe myself some type of righteousness based on the fact that I compared better to that person or to that person. When Jesus comes to the world, the perfection of Jesus creates the contrast, the contrast necessary for us to understand our lack of righteousness. Our lack of righteousness. His perfection shows us that even if even the self-ascribed righteousness that I give myself when I walk in elderly lady across the street, even that is very minimal. It's very small. In fact, it's not righteousness at all when I compare myself to his perfection. But now, Jesus, the light that, that John 16 was or that John 3 was talking about, according to John chapter 16, the light is leaving now. The light came into the earth. It was eternal before the earth started. It came into the earth. It showed us all that, man, we pale in comparison to this glory, but now it's leaving. What are we going to do? How are we going to know the standard of perfection now that the light is leaving? His bodily presence is gone. He's still existing, but his bodily presence on earth is gone. The Holy Spirit comes to convict us of our righteousness by showing us God's glory. That's why if you notice so many of these songs that reference the Holy Spirit, what do they also say? Let your glory come down. Your glory. There's a constant reference to glory because when God, uh, when the Holy Spirit convicts us of our righteousness, he doesn't do so just by beating you down. He does so by showing you the beauty and splendor of Jesus. Like a window that's cracked, he shows us a beautiful immaculate window to the point that when you go back over to your own window, even if you had the audacity to say, man, that guy's window is really cracked. That girl's window is not there anymore. I'm morally pretty good. I just have a chip and a little scratch and a little crack in mine. I'm a lot better than theirs. If you had the audacity to say that, God's glory, his beauty, when we, show, when we see his perfection, makes us look at our window and go, man, look at the comparison. It's broken. It's, it's broken. It's cracked compared to the beauty of his perfection. We need the Holy Spirit to show us the large gap between our perceived righteousness and God's divine perfection. The third thing he convicts us of is judgment. Judgment. Um, In John 7, 24, Jesus exhorted the world to stop judging mere appearances and make a righteous judgment. Judgment. Christ's judgment is righteous and true. He is perfect and good. (laughs) Our judgment removed from Christ, removed from the lordship of God in our life, from him being the king over us, it's rebellious. It's, It's, dare I say, wicked, not because you may be doing wicked things, Maybe you're walking elderly ladies across the street. I don't know. Maybe you're a saint, but the thing is, you have taken God and removed Him from His rightful place as God, and use your own judgment to make yourself your own God. And instantaneously, we're wicked. It's just like the serpent did to Eve in the garden. He said, "Okay, well, this is what God said, but how about this? I mean, maybe He didn't mean that. Maybe He, he said something different there." And Maybe you should use your own judgment to decide what's right for you and eat the the fruit that he said not to eat. You see, it's the same thing that the enemy, that the serpent did when, when he disobeyed God. He made himself his own God. So he encouraged Eve and Adam to do the same thing, and he encourages us now to do the same thing. But we need the Holy Spirit to come and convict us of our judgment and lead us by the hand as a loving God, back to the lordship of God, the lordship of Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The third thing that the Spirit comes to do, three or four, is that he comes to lead us into truth. He comes to lead us into truth. This is found in uh, John 16, 13, if you want to go along with it. Um, But... He comes to lead us into truth. What is truth? Right? What is truth? That's what Pilate asked Jesus during Jesus' rather shady proceedings when he was arrested and and crucified. Pilate looked at Jesus and said, what is truth? And that's a question that we all, for the most part, uh, ask ourselves at some level during our lives. Jesus provided his own answer. In John 14, he said, I am the way the truth, and the life. Jesus is the entirety of the truth. Jesus is the truth. He is justice. He is righteousness. He is goodness. That's why his presence on the earth left everyone else going, man, what am I compared to him? He is the truth. Now, the disciples in this one were told there are many things, going back to John 16, there are many things that I still have to tell you, but you can't bear them right now. You can't handle them right now. And I remind you that these guys were still thinking that Jesus was going to like overthrow the Roman government and like establish the kingdom of Israel. And it wouldn't be, as I mentioned earlier, till the Holy Spirit fell on them that they understood Christ's work and the gospel and and how he redeemed them through his own life. Most people in this world have come to a place where they have to consider the question, who is Jesus? Almost everybody in the world, there are groups of people that have not had to deal with this question. We need to get there. Um, But most people, a lot of people in the world have come to the point where they had to consider the question, who is Jesus? And some in other religions will look at Jesus and say, he's a great prophet. Others that aren't religious at all will look at Jesus and say, he's a really good teacher. But there's some that by God's sovereign choice and the Holy Spirit's work in our life, the Holy Spirit has revealed the truth that Jesus Christ is The truth. He's the truth. Jesus is the truth. Um, That he's the truth. He's the son of God. Come into the world perfect, sinless, to redeem our lives. That's the Holy Spirit that makes that apparent to us. That's the Holy Spirit that nudges us that way. He leads us into the truth of Jesus. Jesus said he's the truth. And the Holy Spirit comes and says, I'm going to lead you into all truth. I'm gonna lead you into the fact that He is God and He's redeeming you, but that's not the extent of truth. That bit of truth in the gospel is a life saving truth, but it's the tip of the iceberg in a body under the water that's massive. There's not a day that goes by where I will be able to say, man, I've exhausted the truth in Jesus. In fact, when I wake up, His mercies are new to me every morning. I have to explore the mercies that he's given me that day. Yes. So when, oh, when I begin to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit as a loving God has to take me by the hand and say, follow me. I'm going to lead you deeper into the truth of Jesus. Romans uh, 15 says that we are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We are sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He is the one that leads us into a deeper, more intimate relationship With Jesus, he's the one that takes us by our hand and whispers the sweet nothings of Christ's love to us that draw us to him. It's him. It's not us. It's the Holy Spirit. He continues to lead us into the truth of Jesus throughout our lifetimes. We need the Holy Spirit to lead us into truth. The fourth and final point about the Spirit's work is that he testifies to and glorifies Jesus. Um, Can you put John 16, 14 through 15 up? Is that that in there? I want to read that if it is. Um, If it's not, I'm going to go ahead and read it here. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. At this point I feel like there's there's little more gas required for this point. Not because there's nothing more to say in the Bible. The Bible makes it very clear that the Holy Spirit is here to glorify Jesus. We could go on and on about that. The reason there's very little gas more required is that everything we've been talking about is leading to this point anyway. Every single thing that I've said from up here leads to the fact that the Holy Spirit is here to testify to and glorify Jesus. When he empowers the church, he doesn't empower the church to build a big building, nor does he empower the church to to offer us a place to come and make friends. He empowers the church to glorify and lift up the name of Jesus. If a building facilitates us to housing more people so that we can talk to more people about Jesus, Praise God. If a friend is a blessing to us and shows us the love of God and the fellowship that that he desires to have with us, praise God. Those are blessings from God. The Holy Spirit is empowering the church to give those things to you, but they're not the ends for which the Holy Spirit is working. He's working to glorify Jesus through the empowerment of the church. When he convicts us, he doesn't convict us to make us feel small. At no point is the Holy Spirit convicting us so that we can walk out with our heads uh, hanging. He's convicting us to show us how small we are compared to how great God is, but that this great God is relentless in his love toward us. That even though we have earned a judgment from him, he looks at us with mercy, grace, unending love, that fullness uh, and, and, and steadfast love will pursue me all the days of my life. The fact that we haven't earned that, but God consistently gives it to us, this is why the Holy Spirit convicts us so that we see the greatness of God's love toward us. And even in the truth, he leads us into truth, not so that we can get haughty, So that we can think, man, I've I've read the Bible like six times. (laughs) He leads us in a truth so that we can have an intimate, closer and deeper relationship with Jesus. To show us the immense compassion, love and grace that he has for us. The Holy Spirit is guiding us there so that we can be more humble in our adoration of Jesus. The advantage that Jesus talked about when he said, if I leave, the spirit will come to you is because he knows the best thing for you is not more of you. The best thing for me is not more of me. The best things for the disciples were not more of the disciples. He knew that the best thing for all of us would be less of us and more of Jesus. The Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit looks at us lovingly. As a perfect God, as a loving father, he's not excluded from the love that God has for us. He's not just some median that that God uses to show his strength. The Holy Spirit is a loving God that looks at us and says, man, I know that there is no other place that you will be satisfied outside of the person of Jesus. There's There's no need that you have that will be met outside of Jesus, would I be loving if I saw someone hurting and I said, man, why don't you try the second best option? Why don't you try the third best option? In order for me to know that I'm loving, I would have to look at that guy and say, this is the best option for you. This is the only place that you'll be satisfied. The Holy Spirit of the loving God says, man, that Jesus is the only place you'll be content. This is the only place that you will find the purpose that you've been searching for. Jesus is our advantage and the Holy Spirit leads us to him regularly. That's why the point I brought up earlier was so important that the Holy Spirit works both inside of us and alongside the other members of the Trinity to glorify Jesus to our advantage. That is our advantage. That's our ultimate advantage good. Today, I am not sure where you're at. I'm not sure um, if you're a Christian or if you're not. If you're a Christian, uh, the Lord, I believe, the Holy Spirit is here with you and he's leading you into all truth. He desires to draw you to a deeper place of relationship with himself, uh, with Jesus. And then maybe you're not a believer. Maybe, um, maybe church is foreign to you, or maybe you spent 18 years in church, but Jesus is foreign to you. Maybe you're here with questions or hurts, um, pain, fears, shame, or maybe just anger. Um, you're not alone. We've all experienced that. And maybe the Holy Spirit is is working in your heart now in one of the ways that we just brought up. Maybe he's working on your heart in a way that we didn't bring up. Regardless, if you're here and he's working on your heart, he's leading you to the only thing that's going to satisfy you. His love for you is leading you to the only thing that's going to satisfy you. He's trying to provide the purpose and meaning that you've been searching for, but you haven't found. He's leading you to Jesus. Like I said, I don't know where any of you specifically are. I don't know where any of you are in life, but what I do know is that the Holy Spirit Our loving God has a desire to work in each and every one of our lives. That I do know. I may not know where you're at. I may not know where you are. But I do know where he is. And he's present working in our lives. So today, if he's nudging you, if we would all bow our heads, what our bower has if you're a believer in here and he's nudging you to draw closer to himself, to draw near to him. raise your hand show him that he is he's effectively working that you hear him, that you feel him, that you feel the beauty of the Holy Spirit drawing you to what satisfies you as a loving God. Thank you. And if you're in here and maybe you're not a believer, maybe following Jesus with all of your heart isn't something that you do, but you know that the Holy Spirit right now is working in your heart. He's showing and revealing himself to you and letting you know that you're loved. And that's pushing you to draw close and accept and maybe even begin a relationship with Jesus today. Raise your hand. Thank you. You Put your hands down. Let's pray together to the Holy Spirit for him to work in this place. Father, thank you so much. Holy Spirit, we come to you now as you are our God, You reveal the truth of our Savior to us in Jesus Christ. You love us. You desire to know us and for us to know you. You open our hearts and and guide us into the loving truth of your Son. right now, Lord, move on our hearts. Draw us closer to the only thing that satisfies us, whether we feel we're far off or whether we feel we're right next. There's no end to the love, mercy, and grace of Jesus. And the only thing you desire to do, Holy Spirit, is to draw us into that love. We love you. We thank you, Father. We ask that you would rest on our hearts today, that you would allow uh, your spirit to penetrate us, God, and, and work in us for the week. We love you. We thank you praise you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Um, so uh, I think it's next week. We got same, same service times and uh, all that good stuff. So as you leave today, hug someone. If you hug Peter, get ready to get kissed. Until then, uh, until then, God bless you. You're dismissed. Or we are dismissed.